0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. skin. I feel the hate you inside.
1: I need to get your voice out of my head. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this the latest edition of ESSR feature here on the Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet podcasting network. I'm your host this week, Stephen Wilson, and we're taking another trip into our time machine. We're going all Doctor Who once again, for them who likes our show. Uh, and we are looking back on a past pay-per-view. And we've had some stinkers over the course of 2021. Couldn't remember the year for a second. But we're going to do our favourite of so many people. Yes, we're going back 20 years, and we're talking about Survivor Series 2001. Two thousand and one. Winner takes all. Yes, this is the pay-per-view, which was the ending to the Invasion storyline which pitted WWF against the Alliance, WCW and ECW. So before we go into that show, which it's very fitting that I'm hosting it since I hosted our show on Invasion a couple of months ago, which you can catch on our back catalogue. Yes, we're on all good podcasting networks to search for Eat Sleep Supply retweet. And we're also on YouTube. We've just had an edition of Quiz Showdown uh, go up on there this past week which scott and and billy who two of our panelists were on so please catch that and we've also got so much more on youtube coming up and you can also find us on social media facebook twitter instagram at Surplex retweet right now during this show there was a segment in the show where vince mcmahon gave a pep talk to members of team wwf where he mentioned various legendary wrestlers of past times but well, we're going to do things a bit differently. When I introduce my panel, I'm going to reference them in a way of wrestlers not quite in the same legendary status as Andre the Giant, Buddy Rogers and High Chief Peter, my So, up first from Elgin, representing the High Street Posse, he is our version tonight of Joey Abs. It's Billy Strachan.
2: Uh, I haven't seen Ab in a long time, Joey abs
1: <laughs> I thought of that in my head because I was watching the 1999 Survivor Series the other day and I thought I really love how Howard Finko says Joey Abs just the emphasis he puts on Bob and Joey Joey Abs <laughs> so I thought I need to get that in there uh, Billy how are
2: you? I'm not bad, I, I I loved 2001 when it came to wrestling, I was 11 and I was happy, take me back yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was 9 at
1: that particular point
2: it was a great time
1: Can't believe my mom let me watch some of this stuff at that point, but (laughs) hey-ho. It's got me where I am today. Uh, Up next, now residing in Partick, Glasgow. He is an absolute weapon. He is our version of Steve Blackman. It is Chris Murray.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant, I'll take it. Uh, Steve Blackman, a legend of professional wrestling, should have been much higher in the wrestling totem pole, I think. Did he not get... Did something weird not happen to him? Did he not get really sick or something like that? Did he not get, like, scarlet fever or measles or some sort of old-school disease, and that's why he didn't wrestle for ages? Didn't anyone remember that story? I don't know. But yes, I'll take it, nevertheless. Thank you for finally doing this show, Stephen. Um, When we were on that Invasion show, I was just badgering you, like, bump all the other Survivor Series shows and do... 2001, and eventually you have relented.
1: Well, it's 20 years, I had to make some uh, heads or tails of it. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to try and get Steve Blackman as this year's Christmas special. He's my pick for it. So if that does happen, we can dig into what potentially or what didn't happen to Steve Blackman. I don't know (laughs) what mysterious illness he may or may not have had. Uh, uh, Rounding off the panel from the great town of Scotston Hill. (laughs) <laughs> he is one half of the Smoking McLeods. It is our <laughs> version of Gunn, It is Scott McLeod.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I've not heard that joke in a long time. Uh, the C. Blackman, it was malaria he got. It was back in the 80s. But I will not, everyone will not be signing up for that Christmas special. C. Blackman, the wrestling equivalent of a plain scone.
1: Oh, man. What a guy he is, though. What a guy. You know, the way he uh, took out Ken Shamrock at the 1999 King of the Ring, Oh, just absolute genius. Just the stone expression he gets when he realises he's in the main event with with, uh, Vince. Like, no, mate, no. Uh, We also may or may not still be joined by Alan McLucas. He has some technical problems. He may join us later on. He may not join us. So if you hear him at some point in the show, he's here too. But anyway, he he might not show up. So let's go, go on. As I mentioned, we are talking about the Survivor Series, 2001. And it's not a pay-per-view look-back show hosted by myself without a few facts on the pay-per-view. So this pay-per-view took place on the 18th of November, 2001, and it took place in Greensboro, at the Greensboro Coliseum Complex in the state of North Carolina. Uh, 10,142 people attended this show, uh, obviously held at an arena which had held other wrestling events in its time. It had four editions of Starcade taking place there between 1983 and 1986. And it also held two WWE pay-per-views before this, uh, Unforgiven in Your House 1998, and the pay-per-view I mentioned just a couple of moments ago, which we have reviewed on this show in the past, King of the Ring 1999, where The Undertaker made a really weird reference about taking the Rock's balls off. You have to watch it. It's, it's, it's disturbing. Uh, a buy rate of 450,000 for this particular pay-per-view. So that was up 50,000 on the 2000s edition, although it was only the sixth highest uh, buy rate of that year following the three big pay-per-views, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam. No Way Out, funnily enough, in 2001, which was main evented by... Three stages of Hell, Triple H, and uh, still called Steve Austin, and of course the Invasion Pay Per View, which still to this day, I, I, if I remember rightly, is WWE's biggest non Big Four Pay Per View of all time for pirate. rate. Uh, and also on this day, twenty years ago, I see to make clearly. us. So,
3: what's that? He went on the scene and I went, "I see clearly." But <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so to make us all feel old, on this day in two in, in two thousand and one the nintendo gamecube was released in north america the first harry potter was top of the uk box office Uh, and the iconic album gold by steps was top of the uk album charts i cannot believe i made a step reference on this show david campbell will be popping (laughs) so (laughs) enough about feeling old we're going to go into the matches now as anybody who's watched this pay-per-view knows It's a largely one-match pay-per-view, the main event, but we need to go through the undercard first briefly and talk about it because there was some some decent matches in there. We're going to start off with the match that opened the show. It was for the European title, which saw Christian defending it against tough enough coach at this particular point, Al Snow, on a match that was made that night on Sunday Night Heat. Everybody moans about stuff getting done on the pre-show in WWE. This is the biggest pay-per-view of 2001 in many people's eyes. And they announce a match half an hour before the show starts. (laughs) Uh, So, Scott, I will go to you. Uh, First observation, this is very early into Christian's singles run. And I think Tony Khan needs to go to Vince McMahon and pay all the money he can. Scrap the TNA theme and bring back Christian at last, you're on your own.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'd forgot. I had not heard that theme song in a long time. Before this show, I, I am just shocked, Stephen. We're starting off with this. We're not. We're skipping over the classic that was on Sunday Night Heat of Raven. Just incredible and Landstorm toppling Scotty Too hottie Albert and Spike Dudley. I am just <laughs> affronted.
1: We talk about Scotty Too Hottie briefly later tonight. You had the back of a rough evening.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he did. Uh, Yeah, it was weird. Really watching this match. I kind of wish it was on heat because you know there wasn't really much much to it. Uh, Al Snow, my main notes about this is Al Snow comes out to an early version of the of the Maven theme song, which was basically just written for whoever won tough enough. <laughs> which is funny. Uh the fans still chant for Head even in 2001. Uh but you know, I like Christian as is European champion. I'm sad that he didn't get a bigger spot, like if they didn't factor him in to like the like the IC US title match later on in the night, because they're all, all those tales need to have the same same purpose. But yeah. Also, they pointed out they won this on an untelevised match. Well, the match was taped for TV. They just cut it because they couldn't have time on that. They didn't have the time for that week's SmackDown.
1: Well, I wish they'd done the same with this particular match on uh, <laughs> on this pay-per-view. But uh, Billy, this match was given two and three quarter stars on the Observer by Dave Meltzer and has a 2.11 average on the Grapple uh, Ratings app. It's a
2: pretty solid but yet unspectacular way to kick off this pay-per-view. Well, uh, we talked about the entrances and uh, we haven't mentioned that Christian got his golden shower which <laughs> I loved as part of the, the whole whole entrance. Uh, a little bit of the golden shower and then Randy Orton stole it later uh, for a bit. But yeah, it's, it's a bit weird that Al Snow is because of course this was when uh, Tough Enough 2 was, wasn't was started yet. It was getting all the tapes in and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he looks like an absolute pillock because he broke a count that we thought he won, but it was a rope break. As a coach, I would hope he would know what a rope break was, turn around and then got the unprettier. So I wouldn't want to be coached by an idiot like that.
1: <laughs> I mean, was that really the unprettier? I think it several points. Chris, uh, JR was saying that the the reverse DDT was the unprettier. And the minute the unprettier gets hit going, actually, that's the unprettier. I mean, come yeah. on. I mean, we we question in the current day, like JR's AEW commentary is terrible. I think it probably was always terrible. I think it was just clouded by occasional great lines.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, I was actually watching this with Lucy. We don't watch a lot of wrestling together, as you can probably imagine. And um, so she was, I think she watched like the first two matches with me. And um, we got to the bit where (laughs) Al Snow does his... Uh, like chest headbutt move, and uh, she went. It just looks like they're having a wee dance, and then, <laughs> um, and then we got to the unprettier before the three count, and she went. I could have done that move, and <laughs> do you know what? Lucy is correct. It is, it is. a shame that Christian didn't have a better finisher, but I, I like it because it's quite unique. Um, of course, Christian's entrance was phenomenal. I I love the the golden shower <laughs> as you put it, um. <laughs> Heyman points out something interesting. He says that both wrestlers joined the WWF in 1998. Christian, of course, coming out for In Your House Breakdown in September and Al Snow debuted in May. So that was a nice little callback that they I, were both I, sort of... I,
1: I liked it. I liked it. Obviously, um, slid over the, the brief point where Al Snow was uh, tag team partners with match.
0: Let's, let's, yes. let's forget uh, about that. <laughs> did, he did make an appearance at Survivor Series 1996, which we will either talk about immediately before or after this show on the broadcast schedule. Um, uh, Scott, I don't know if you noticed this, but, but I know it was the early Maven theme tune that Al Snow came out to, but was it dubbed? Because I thought that this entrance was the actual, you know, really good Maven theme tune. It's got the riff, it's like, which I think is like one of the best theme tunes ever. And uh, the, they had that weird sort of seagull crowd noise underneath just that music. And I thought, oh, that music wasn't always there. I don't think I'd love to go back and find out, like, watch some sort of VHS rip of this pay per view to see if that was always Al Snow's theme. Because obviously, WWF, WWE absolutely love rewriting history and will change musics willy-nilly. I have three different points on my notes where when I want to talk about whether or not this is the actual music that came out. But yes, apart from debating the music and laughing at their dancing, uh, it was just the quick unprettier for the three count, not a very, um, uh, what's the word, consequential match, really. Christian is a solid opener wrestler, but I don't think a match against Al Snow with nothing behind it was the match for him. I think I think you could kind of tell here that he was a, a a newly fresh singles wrestler because he had his high bot high points all nailed, but there was lots of kind of boring bits, which is obviously the parts where he would tag Edge in, or tag Lance Storm in, or tag Chris Jericho in. So yeah, it was like it was like fifty percent good a match. I didn't really notice that thing you was mentioning, Chris, about the dubbed door. I just I heard, I, could, I just recognised the guitars, but it
3: didn't sound like either version of the theme because I didn't hear any lyrics. So maybe it was just an instrumental that they dubbed door. So yeah, I think it would be interesting if you if you said like a DVD or VHS, rip off of and it, if it was any better. Uh, see, when you mentioned about how JR was on commentary, I did notice one line that made me laugh from uh, from JR. We're talking about Chris and just basically sitting on him for being so arrogant. He goes, "I'd like to buy." Christian for what he's worth, and then sell him for what he thinks he's worth. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: he, 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 he does rip into people very easily <laughs> in this one, but uh, yeah, Christian gets the win in this particular match. Um, yeah, this is obviously the start of his single career, but the fact that they put him back at their tag team next year, the year maybe thinks that they were not fully sold on him. But yeah, he, he does get the win, and he, obviously he's representing the alliance at this particular point. Uh, we get a couple of moments for the main event match, which I'll talk about along with the main event later on. A lot of the segments between matches are in relation to the main event. So I'll mention them all at that particular point. The next actual match features William Regal, uh, who at this point is the commissioner for the Alliance, taking on the WCW cruiserweight champion Tajiri. Uh, It was originally meant to be Tajiri versus X-Pac in a unification match for the light heavyweight title. But x was injured, so that match got scrapped, and the light heavyweight title would eventually get scrapped after this particular show. So they went with Tajiri taking on his former mentor and William Regal. Uh, Billy a one and a half. This one got from Meltzer. It's very short, but at the same time, for the for the length of the go, they kick a lump at each other. <laughs>
2: It's, it's three minutes of heaven, uh, which, is, which is my nickname sometimes. Um, but yeah, it was there was a lot happening in it. I mean, the, the, I I adore Tajiri and William Regal at this time. Whether it was them being goofy or they're just absolutely kicking lumps out each other because they just went all at it. Uh, but no, the the blood early on with Tajiri somehow busting open Regal. I was I'm assuming a kick, uh, and then of course the the hangman spot in the ropes was. Oh, it was brutal to watch, but also like that beautiful thing of just because you're assuming it's safe because uh, Regal is also pulling uh, Tajini's legs as he's getting mm-hmm. hung. Um, but no, oh, yeah, th- three three minutes to pack a lot in, and uh, the, obviously the post post segment set up the night after as well. So uh, yeah, it was it was good fun for however brief it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: Chris, I've got I've got in my notes here that. If they give them maybe an extra five ten minutes, this could be a really, really good pay-per-view match, but I think the fact that they only go 3 minutes and it's only purpose to really serve, as Billy mentioned, the the next night's angle and the stuff with Tony Wilson. I think it kind of brought it down in a lot of people's rankings, but it is much better than I thought it was. The crowd loved Adiri as well at this point.
0: Yeah, let's not forget that this isn't WrestleMania, so we're not actually going to get the end of all of WWF storylines at this point. There's always going to be something that wants you to come back for the night after. And I know you said we're going to do a kind of wrap up of the promos before the main event, but I loved William Regal's little interaction with Vince where Vince turns to walk away and he finds himself right in the face of the man that he's essentially bullied for a long time, much like what he does with Mick Foley, which also factors into the night after. Yeah. And just his little quip This I, I can't remember the exact wording where he talks about um Austin's loyalty and just the confidence in William Regal's face going into that. Uh, even you know, what with what happened, I thought was perfect. Just some thoughts on the match. I thought that the cruiserweight title looked mince. I'm so happy that it was binned off in favour of that next generation cruiserweight title that they would come to have later on. Uh, I'm so happy that you've clarified the match because my first note was why isn't this a unification match? Why why is the cruiserweight title even mentioned? Of course, I didn't realise X Pac was injured. And um, Paul Heyman, I thought it was cool he brought up that he brought Tajiri to ECW from Japan, so he's sort of he's sort of saying well I'm responsible for his success. The a uh, blood, immediate blood. I thought didn't look deliberate, but then I wasn't sure about the uh, hangman spot if that was deliberate. Um, the way that Tajiri goes into the ropes, I was like, did you did you do that deliberately? I couldn't I couldn't really tell. So I just was like, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> Jr. Jr. and Paul Heyman throughout the night have so many brilliant quips just about various things and one of the ones I have picked up with JR is that he says Regal was on the scrap heap before we brought him back to the WWF and I just thought it was quite cool he's like he's like saying Regal should be grateful to even have been offered a job with us in the first place um, and yeah the the finishing shot after um, Regal does the is it the two Tiger bombs um, after he does one on Tajiri and one on Tori. Just the shot of him standing over both wrestlers, he's covered in blood, they're both totally out of it. I just thought it was brilliant. It made him look like an absolute murderer. And I'm overall I'm quite thankful that Regal went on to have such a long and great career with the WWE. I think he really deserved it. He was he was always good for moments like this. And then of course the Kiss My Ass Club moment as well. So he's got he's got so many um Aspects to his character which are just brewing
1: Yeah, Scott, this kind of it
0: shows uh, Regal's
1: flexibility because he, one of the moments at this point in Regal's career I remember other than Kiss My Ass Club is the stuff at WrestleMania eighteen with Kamala. I thought that was hilarious the way we would just interact with him. But this side of him, you know, he's literally showing that he is a bruiser. You know, and that's kind of what he would briefly kind of run with in the mid the mid tw- uh, twenty. But it, was it the two thousands, two thousand and tens when he ran for the King of the Ring. So it was It it is show that if they could have pushed him, you know, and probably they could have done a push with him after this as opposed to the whole kiss my ass club stuff.
3: Yeah, I think the uh there's two sides to William he's so good at going between them. There's the comedic side and there's a very sadistic where are we going to see that like because I don't know if the kicks were I think you did have a bit of a reputation of being quite stiff with those kicks, so I think the blood was accidental, but when you see it down in, in that sneering look of, uh, of William Eagle, it just made him look even more sinister than he already was, and uh, I don't know if anyone really, really have cared if they had the unification match, because by this point, the cruiserweight and Light Heavyweight titles were swapping back and forth. They already had won the Ace TV matches between x and T G back at SummerSlam, and yeah, I think once x gets entered, the Light Heavyweight titles never seen on TV again. But I think I would have you know, liked to see more of a conclusion between these two here, because I think they they wrestled at Rebellion before this, and Gigi gets battered there as well. And like considering how Gigi was brought in as the assistant, and you know I generally find those segments were Basically, he was working his way up from being the assistant to actually getting into the ring, actually getting to wrestle as his introduction to the WWF audience. Uh, and also like like Chris said about JR said about uh, we like. Heyman had similar comments about Tajiri. Like, is ungrateful. He's ungrateful to me because I brought him into the US and showcased him on ECW. He's ungrateful for the opportunities that William Eagle gave him as his assistant. So JR and, and Heyman are just on fire. This is their last special night as, as a commentary team and you know, they're sadly missed for me as a commentary team. Uh, well, you talking about the kiss my ass, but I think that, that, that does actually help set him off on a more vicious path because after this he wants to be more aggressive and not be taken and taken seriously while people are taking the piss out of him for kissing Vince's ass. And I think certainly after us going to the New York Aeonville he starts making a brass nucks part of his gimmick again.
1: Oh, brass knucks was great. You know, he has such a great array of moves, you know. third generation currently he's just really known as the guy who shouts war games from a balcony. But from third generation he is known as this guy who had so many layers to his character and obviously he gets the win pretty much in three minutes, you know. Very hard-hitting, but probably perfectly placed on the card. Uh, it's then followed up by a match that did become a unification, a unification match. We actually got one here, the first of two. Uh, it was Edge, who at this point was the WCW US champion, taking on Test, who was the WWF Intercontinental champion. Uh, Chris, um, this one gets a good bit of time. It goes on for about 12 minutes. Uh, we had a guy in Edge who clearly The you at this point he was going to become the star that he would end up becoming and we know now I guess the guy Test who threw everything at to to become just as big a star as what Edge would become.
0: Yeah, it's weird. I'm watching this thinking I remember thinking Test was ready to be a star but yet I sort of found this match a little bit boring, and I thought the crowd were quite dead for all of it. I thought the promo and the build-up to it was brilliant. I thought Test and Edge are so brilliantly matched together. Um, like The whole story of Test stopped Edge from beating RVD, then he pinned Edge himself for the IC title, then Edge beat Angle for the US title. You can tell they sort of had the end result of where the belts had to be, and then they sort of worked their way backwards getting all the ins and outs ready for those people to have those specific belts. I love the bit about Test giving Janet into trouble for not rubbing oil on his body properly. I mean, that, that's his business. He's got every right to make sure she gets that right. Um, he hits on Stacy, who hits on him back, and oh, then that, says... That, that, that's a prelude for testicles coming year or so
1: later.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, and then I loved his line in the mirror to himself. Yeah, she wants me. That was really good, but um, in the match, I loved that Rob Zombie's theme was playing because oh, yeah. I, I I know that Edge's is it, just, uh, it Metalinguist theme is phenomenal, but the Rob Zombie one is really really good as well. Paul Heyman points out that one title will dissolve this evening, and I really liked the sort of like how vivid that is. You can really picture it, um, and I also liked as well that Paul Heyman brings up like. We always talk about the history of all these belts in the the WWF, but he brought up the history of the US belt by mentioning guys like Johnny Valentine and Ric Flair and Harley Race. I also thought, right, and there's no way they thought of this at the time, but it's really cool that they mentioned those three because those are three wrestlers who obviously had a good run in WCW slash NWA, but all had quite bad runs at that point in the WWF. Like Harley Race came in, was way too old. Yeah. Had one WrestleMania match, was done. Ric Flair was there for a year, kind of hated it. He was done. Johnny Valentine as well. I think I've obviously never seen him wrestle, but I think he, by the time he got to the WWF, he was too old as well, and he just became a manager. So it's just it was funny that they mentioned those three. If if that was scripted, then that's genius from Russo or Vince or uh, whoever it was that was doing it. But yeah, I was picking up on bits like this because I thought the match itself was just a bit dead. I thought it kicked in a bit towards the end with. Edge kicking out the pump handle and then reversing and test powerbomb into Hurricane Rana and then the spear kick out. There was a bit of back and forth and then we got the, was that an Oklahoma roll? I, I hate trying to name moves because I'm terrible at it. But what I thought was really interesting, the best bit about the match is change your trivia answer sheet, whatever it may be because officially according to Howard Finkel the first undisputed champion as he announces is Edge he announces Edge as the undisputed unified champion so it's not Chris Jericho anymore he can't take back those 20 years of promos Chris Jericho you're no longer the first ever undisputed champion it was Edge according to the announcement but you can't really dwell on it because we get about three seconds of Edge holding the belt before they cut to the next promo which I was really annoyed about
1: see that whole thing you mentioned about i'm saying that the title would dissolve i could just imagine at the end of the show like vince donning an infinity (laughs) just blipping the titles out of existence you know it's just like it's just suddenly you could just um you could picture vince doing if he had you know the money (laughs) yeah more money than he already has uh scott um chris pointed out something which i thought was pretty spot on this when it really starts to kick in uh, late towards the the, the late towards the, the conclusion of the match, uh, JR mentions at one point, which I thought quite baffling, it's like, Tess has gone to the top rope, you don't really see that from a guy his size. Tess's finishing move is an elbow drop. <laughs> Come on to <laughs> hell, JR!
3: <laughs> I know. It's not as if he didn't see him, you can't fucking miss him, he's that tall, going up to the top rope. And it's weird because he saying, you know, saying, one of these tails is going to dissolve. In the two unification matches, it's both a guy holding a, a WCW belt that that walks out with it, so I'm like, so what happens to the WJF win? Do they just walk around with the WCW belt? They didn't really explain it all that much, and I think the word undisputed got thrown around quite a bit, because for the six-pack challenge, they said that whoever walked there would be the undisputed women's champion as well, even though there's only one belt. Uh, but I agree, this match really only got good like towards the end, you know, with Tested, and uh, his own version of for Edge did it as well, but they both got a chance to kick out of it, and I think that got the crowd back into it again. This, this, I find how we got here so baffling. So Test pins Edge to win the IC title, and then Edge wins the US title off Angle to then win the IC title back from Test. So why didn't you just have Test win the US title an Alliance guy holding an Alliance belt to go up against a WAF guy with a WWF belt? But having said that, Test probably made the best decision of his career joining the Alliance because at one point he was a double champion holding the tag belts and the IC belt, so... Probably in terms of championship, it was the best period of Tess's career. I don't
1: know. Like I said, he was getting this, he was getting that, he was getting, and he didn't even that he didn't even marry the the boss's daughter. You know, he had the boss's daughter torn from him in a drunken night of passion. But enough about <laughs> that particular angle. As for a completely different show,
4: well,
1: uh, like, it's amazing uh, when you watch Edge here. The fact he's still going, you know, twenty years later, he's one of only two wrestlers who wrestled on this card that's still active on the WWF roster him and Jeff Hardy and it's just crazy you know how fluid he even is him, and he's just he don't, he, I don't think he's lost a step
2: um well I'll bring back for a second it uh, because Scott mentioned it but of course testy two belts we got that in the in the promo package I was yeah. so, super excited to see that um I liked when it started that the US the Intercontinental title got this nice little graphic. It got the belt and everything, and WCW US title got US title, <laughs> written, and that was it. Um, Paul Heyman brought up a great point: was the first. I don't know if he said it exactly like this, but the first title change for the US title was in Greensboro as well. Uh, it was Johnny Valentine ah, it's great. Uh, he, 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 he He's on the ball. He's on the ball. He's history. He just hits everything. So yeah, that was great. And, and as far as Edge goes, um, yeah, everyone's kind of said it. The match was. Fine. Uh, it was toward, good towards the end. Uh, Test looked so great with that belt, the IC belt, and it's just baffling that he was so devoid of charisma that they, they couldn't do anything with him. But he just he just looked like he could have been a star, and he just never was. It's just, uh, yeah, weird.
1: They, they try everything to get him a star. They had him with uh, Trish Stratus, obviously, with T and, T and A not the wrestling company, the tag team. Uh, he was obviously part of the corporation when he first came in. He would go on with Stacy Keebler who has charisma in spades. You know, when the testicle stuff, she did everything to try and get him over. He couldn't get over then. He came back in ECW, had even less charisma than he did when he was there the first time. And obviously sadly passed away not long after that. So it's a, it is a case of what could have been with Test, you know, but...
3: I mean- you joke about oh TNA, no, the wrestling company. Yeah, you did actually have one match in TNA under yeah, the fantastic a, name The Punisher, Andrew Martin. <laughs> it was a film. It was a film metal
1: mayhem match, wasn't
3: it? I think it was like some sort of multi-man steel cage sort of thing. But you know, I do love that. in like the early 2000s, they try everything. They kind of get test over and think, why is this not working? Maybe it was when you had him, you know, have his woman stolen at the altar, and then you had him do fuck all about it. <laughs> Maybe that's when people gave up on him.
1: Yeah, and he had that uh late nineteen ninety-eight Undertaker eyebrow piercing which was <laughs> absolutely absolutely horrendous to look at now. Yeah. yeah, but as we've mentioned, Edge gets the win, becomes the first ever unified champion in a match that got three and a half stars from Meltzer. And it's currently got about an average of just under three on the um grapple app, which shows that the, a lot of the fans kind of can go with what you guys were saying, kind of it only hits into gear later on in the match it's quite slow to start with uh, a match that isn't slow really to start with is the second unified title match to get just after that for the wwf and wcw tag team championships between the dudleys and the hardys billy i will go back to you on this one uh, a perfect match to have at this particular point because you have these two teams who for the last two years before this showed that they have got absolute immense chemistry
2: Absolutely, yeah, uh, exactly. It. They've got the sto- they've got the chemistry. They've got the story behind it as well. It's not like a, I mean, it could it was thrown together because of the unification stipulation, but it wasn't so much thrown together as these guys have had uh, TLC matches and and ladder matches and tables matches and and all these madness mad things. The only thing they really hadn't had was a cage match, um, mm-hmm. so it had to be that. Um, but no, I I loved it. The, the couple of comments that because I rewatched this, I watched this with my wife, um, Ke- Kelly, and and she watched this because she she understands why I love Jeff Hardy, because he just he's amazing. Uh, but he wrestled the first half of this match with his hat on, and. <laughs> I, I watched it thinking my friend had that hat and I hated him because I loved that particular look. But you got you gotta be a daredevil or risk taker to wrestle half a match with with a baseball cap on. I think that just epitomizes uh, Jeff Hardy uh to a T. But no, I, I loved this match. This was just the best.
1: Yeah, I think everybody her age at that particular point was a Jeff Hardy fan. He's just he was so much what you kind of wanted, him. he would jump off everything, he would put his body just, on the line. It was line. cool. He was, was so colourful and everything he did, It was just like, oh, I just, it's, it's. I, I, I was a big Jeff Hardy fan, I still am a big Jeff Hardy fan, even though I think his body's absolutely done to shreds, but as the ending of this match shows, there's a clear reason for it why. Uh, Scott, recently, on, uh, I was watching Phil Gear at AEW last week, and I was baffled watching the 10-man street fight well they started off with standardized tags. <laughs> and I watched this match back and then they're doing tags for this. I'm like, you're in a fucking steel cage. It's meant to be something like anything goes. Why the fuck are you tagging it now? Just start I I I don't get I really did not get that way of starting it. I, even though I think it took about two, two three minutes for them just to go back nah, bugger this, we'll just go for it.
3: And the referee didn't seem to complain when they all four of them were in the ring together, so if you had just done it from the start, the referee could do fuck all about it. Uh, one thing I will say, and I'm sorry for any like long-term, like older like WCW fans are listening to this, but I may agree with Chris on another point, but this match and the, all the other unification matches just hit on that other than the big gold belt, the WCW belts are pretty shit <laughs> in terms of their design. The tag belts are fairly basic. The US title is crabbing, or i already mean, made my feelings uh, known about that on the History of the US uh, title show that we did. But, you know, it's the Hardys versus the Dudleys, you know, you can't go wrong with that. Uh, like I said, they've faced each other so many times as so the crowd were are into. And you, this is well that they didn't, they weren't, keep, they weren't keeping scoring, and it was just the last match that factored into uh, the result, because they're doing poor by this point, and then they, just, they would lose another match for this. But I don't know about you guys, I like to think that like the way that, that Devon just casually lies on the table and then happens to move at the exact point where Jeff crashes through. Like I like to think Devon has wrestled him so many times. Devon knows if I lie here, he's not going to be able to resist. And then flies through. He knows that Matt's on the outside, so I think the Dudleys took advantage of Jeff's, you know, need to. As Matt would say later on, he's broken his addictions to be a spot monkey. Yeah, that's what.
1: A, what I really. I I said I really didn't like the the tagging in and out aspect of it. I really also don't think tag team cage matches should have an escape option to them either. (laughs) I think it should just be a set pin submission in the ring. That's it. Because you get something like what happened at the end of the match, you know, where Matt's outside and it's like, oh, Jeff's himself. It's like, yeah, he's just vulnerable. But no, aside from a bit of silly logic on it, it's hard hitting some of the... The use of the cage is fantastic. I thought the spot where Bubba runs full pelt from one side to the other and literally sandwiches Matt into the cage is absolutely brutal but brilliant. Uh, The Hardys take some absolute punishment and it makes the four of them look just as all great.
0: Yeah, um, really, really good match. Needed this match after the first few being a bit mince. Guys, I need to bring up the biggest revelation that I had on this show. And I actually got a visual aid to help me with it. Did you notice that they had the belts backwards? Yes. The Hardys came out with the WWF belts, despite being WCW champions. And the Dudleys came out with the WCW belts, despite being WWF champions. I was losing my mind at how stupid this was. Not even that, but Matt's belt specifically looks like a WWF tag belt that hasn't been colored in. It's just gold and there's no imprint. And I was just like, "What?" what? I had to actually go and look up the match where they won the belts to make sure I hadn't imagined the entire 50-year lineage of the WWF tag belts. But yes, I got in my background picture, as I said before you now, them with the correct belts. This was so stupid. I had to really mentally ignore this to enjoy the match. Um, There was a good bit between JR and Heyman. JR saying... There's not going to be too many surprises that the Hardys and Dudleys can spring on each other, which I thought was good because they've been in every high-profile match, as Billy said, um, with each other all this time. I thought it was good as well to get the Hardys and the Dudleys in a match that didn't involve Edge and Christian, because Edge and Christian won all the high-profile matches, uh, TLC1, TLC2. And uh, Paul Heyman just immediately replies saying, how do you know they've never been in a cage match together? I was like, yes, Paul, perfect. That's why these two work so well, so well together, because they keep each other sharp. Like obviously, as you mentioned earlier, Jr. and AEW, he doesn't have someone bouncing off him as much. Like, you know, um, Tony Schiavone's not a heel commentator, and Taz, as an an entirely heel commentator. So, yeah, I just I just like the way that they work together. Uh, Paul Heyman also says that he thinks the Hardys should be unified tag team champions, with the exception of one team. Which I just thought was really, really high praise. Um, other point I noticed did you notice that Matt and Devon were wearing the same outfit and Bubba and Jeff were wearing the same outfit? Devon and Matt were both dark pants and grey top and Bubba and Jeff were dark pants and dark top. I was like, what is going on in this match? Why is everything looking weird? Um, as you said, Bubba's pancake to Matt on the steel cage was brilliant. Um... The classic issue of a tag team steel cage match is that when one person leaves, it's just a handicap match. This happened in ICW at Bard like two, three months ago, whenever that was. They had this exact same issue. I remember used to always have this issue on SmackDown 2 when I played the games. And uh, yeah, the finish is visually brilliant. But as we all are big Jeff Hardy fans, where you're not just sitting there just going, just drop down. Just drop down and the belts are yours. It was incredibly frustrating. But yes, the Dudleys, Unified Tag Team Champions. Um Stacy brings in all the belts, but annoyingly, there's much like Edge earlier, there's no moment on the turnbuckles holding all the belts. Like it's straight away cut to something else. Um, I was really, really sad about that because we're never gonna get these shots back. There's never gonna be a time where Edge has two belts again. There's never gonna be a time where the Dudleys have four belts again. Um, except that time in TNA where they had about twenty. But yeah, it's just it's just a, it's annoying. It's a visual moment that they don't get to do. Um, but yeah, overall best match so far.
2: Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, you mentioned Stacey It's uh, still crazy to me that she was with the Dudleys at one point. It's mental to kind of think about it now. But no, it's a fantastic cage match. It gets three and a quarter stars on the from on the Observer and a great weight middle of the card. Absolutely perfect. Done. I have two teams, but. Brilliant chemistry. Now, I mentioned at the start of the show we may be joined by an extra panelist, and uh, he appeals to have made an appearance. Uh, Alan McLucas is now here at the halfway point of this pay per view. Alan,
4: how are you? I'm good, mate. Apologies, but you know, couldn't be helped. I'm here now. Yeah. I'm happy. Yeah.
1: Yes, and we are going to turn to you now, Alan. You may be uh, sad to hear as we go on to the immunity yeah. battle royal for the chance to. Uh, given a year's immunity from being fired at the end of this invasion angle, something which would not fly in 2021 WWE. Uh, You would win a match like that and probably get fired a week later. Uh, One thing to note, we mentioned it before you came on, Alan, uh, at the start of the show. Poor Scotty Too hoty here. He loses on the pre-show at Heat, and then he has a chance to redeem himself in a match here in this Battle Royal, and doesn't even make it to the ring. Gets attacked by Tess before the match even starts.
4: Yeah, I mean, this match, this match came is an absolute of a farce. <laughs> I mean, it was just so much, so much pandemonium and it was just, it's like what Gary said last night about when we were doing the 96 Survivor Series, if you haven't listened to a good show, it was just there's as a time filler, you know, there was just no real prop, proper story to it and it was just... It was quite confusing and hard to just keep up with. It's just, I didn't really enjoy this and, you know, I was quite glad to see the back of it because, although normally I do like get a lot of wrestlers like I've seen the chemistry bouncing off of each other and seeing who's quite good though, I just really didn't take to this match at all. I mean, I know there was some odd, you know, uh, big hard bumps and especially the acolytes, but I quite a good, but overall I wasn't a big fan of this and I found it quite challenging to keep up with it.
1: Yeah, I think Scott Allen pits a lot of points on the head. It's, a lot of my notes in this are just random observations. I mean, my, note one: fuck Sean Stasiak. Uh, <laughs> note two: why is Perry Saturn beardless? Uh, note three: what was the point in Hugh Morrison travel?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I know it's unfortunate that we have to take such a, a change in you know quality because I thought you said at the start of the show that it was pretty much almost a, almost a one match show that I thought. You know, the second best match after the main event for this was probably the the Steel Cage match. was probably the second best match on the show. And then we go to this, and uh, you know, there's probably a reason 70% of these guys wanted to win this match because when you look at them, you know, they probably be, nowadays these guys would be at risk of getting fired. You know, Nick Kang would have a field day with most of the competitors in this match nowadays. Uh, but yeah, I think only, one of the only people that would truly love this match would be Ross because one, Sean that gets thrown out immediately and the last two are Test and Billy Gun and they actually tease after Test thinks he's won that Billy Gunn's behind him, like, oh, turn around, is Billy Gunn going? Oh, no, he's off. <laughs> he's out of there. Uh, but yeah, it pretty much was the definition of feller, and, you know, Test trying to redeem himself from earlier on and keep his job. He's a fear at the draft back in 2001. It'd be interesting to see how many points somebody would rack up for Test on their team.
1: Yeah, there, I mean, uh, Chris, you've uh, highlighted throughout this show so far... Uh, Paul Heyman having an absolute blinder on commentary. I think one of the highlights of this match is how he reacts to Taz coming out. I think that's an absolute bit of gold, just the shock in his face, but what the fuck are you doing here? You have some nerve. And that's probably the one thing that really stands out the most.
0: Yeah, um, the other thing as well that I I noticed straight away about this is uh, obviously there's no stars in this battle royal, but it's really disappointing to see DDP in there considering he really should have been in the main event his star had fallen so quickly in the space of time that he had been in the wfn his star had fallen so what is that you're getting interference from alan oh right, right, right. I'll, I'll just give one anyway thanks cheers <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to stop it <laughs> i will talk more um Yeah, his star had just fallen so quickly in the whole time that he was in the WWF and uh, he he walks out and he just kind of shrugs and that's his gimmick, he shrugs. And it just just made me sad to watch. Uh, There was another, I had another dub issue here, the song that the WWF came out to. I was like, that's not the right song. I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound right at all. I also was like, when did Chuck Palumbo join the WWF? And I looked up and he got sacked by the Alliance. The like the month before, and then joined the WWF. I just do not remember that. I like that in the battle royal, you got guys from the same side fighting each other. Like Albert eliminates Perry Saturn because it's every man for himself, and they're all after their jobs. Uh, as you mentioned, the bit with Hugh Morris and Chavo is a bit random. They just come in and attack some folk, but they're gone after about two seconds. And uh, and also after about three or four people getting eliminated, I realised I realised the only realistic winners were Bradshaw and Test so it was just a bit of a waste of a match I get why they did it. it, they had to have people that still worked for the WWF that didn't have a belt so it made sense for them to do it and um, obviously there was a whole queue mishap at the end where Billy's waiting doing to do the skin the cat move but Test is waiting on Bradshaw and Lance Storm so yeah, terrible finish just Terrible around March. Uh, good for a test, winning. But it kind of makes the whole thing pointless because he wasn't in it at the start. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That uh, thing you mentioned with Chuck Palombo, I remember that they, they did the thing, him and Billy Gunn were at WWF New York and they revealed that they're now a tag team. Just randomly, WWF New York. uh that was one the point. Um, the Mick Foley clips just before this, uh, it makes me realise how much I miss these pads, random pads to WWF New York, which is absolutely great, even though it was like, what's, why are you there? As it was mentioned to Mick Foley, why are you there?
0: You're the commissioner. It's mad because obviously WWF New York just got really bad and went out of business and closed, and now it's like a Pizza Hut or something. But every shot they have, it's always rammed. And I'm like, I, I would have been absolutely dying to go there if I've ever been to New York. I, I don't know how something like this wasn't successful.
1: It was probably always random in the pay per view, and then every other night of the
0: month it was dead. Yeah, uh, maybe, yeah. Maybe. They kept it
3: around for a while in 2002 when they were WWE and they changed it weirdly really to The World or something yeah. like that because they couldn't call it WWF the, the New York. And so, or for some reason, WWE New York didn't roll off the tongue to somebody.
1: No, I didn't really have the same right to it. Uh, Billy, is there anything else you would like to add about the Battle Royale, which got one star from Dave Melson
2: on the Observer? That's fairly generous, because uh, who's that of of WWF and WCW guys? Uh, but yeah, same with the, same echoing cross the, uh, the thoughts of Chris there with the DDP. This guy was in the main event of the inaugural brawl invasion, and now here he is in... The most pointless immunity battle royal, especially considering that they didn't really do anything with it after about two weeks, uh, and then that was it. We sh- they should have, if they were going to have Test win, they should have just made him just be the absolute biggest bastard in the world because he was in he was immune. He could do anything. He could go out and punch stephanie in the face why not he's immune he could have done anything and then he could have got his redemption for for getting jilted at the altar and then he spent the next two years playing the nintendo you could have done anything from that point it should have been bigger um but yeah it was it was whatever it was 10 minutes of 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 course it's going to be either bradshaw or 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 um or test but you know what i, I love billy gunn so when i watched this when i was young i was like come on billy let's go billy gunn but yeah, it was obviously going to be test. To uh,
1: briefly summarise what test did in the months after winning Immunity, he teamed with Christian at Vengeance to Lose to Scotty 2, hotty and Albert. He was in the Royal Rumble match only to be eliminated by Stone Cold Steve Austin. At No Way Out, him and Booker T challenged Taz and Spike Dudley for the WWF Tag Team Championships and failed to win. And then at WrestleMania 18, he lost in a six-man tag. Against Rikishi, Scotty Tuhoti, and Albert on Sunday Night Heat, where he teamed with Lance Storm and Mr. Perfect cut Henning. Easy. There you go. That is what happens when you don't lose your job for a year. He does really? eventually have a match. He does eventually have a match at 2002 SummerSlam against The Undertaker. <laughs> 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 I said about that particular match.
3: 2000. Uh, 2001 I think is probably Test's best year when you look at it because not only did he like, during the Alliance snow, like win the tag and Eric Leonard Taylor won the humanity bat royal he went into Wrestlemania earlier this year as European champion and then he got to win the hardcore title as well and also his biggest accomplishment was a pay-per-view win over Kane at No Mercy. But I'd prefer you not talk about that why would you bring that up Stephen I
1: know exactly you know we're not talking about Kane we're not here we we'll are talking about Kane in a wee bit uh, we first need to get through our penultimate match on the card and Chris, I'm going to start off with you in this particular one. It is the six-pack challenge for the Women's Championship. It is Trish Stratus versus Jacqueline versus Lita versus Mighty Molly versus Ivory versus a debuting jazz. This is obviously for the vacant women's title, which was vacated when China left the WWF not long before that Uh Obviously, I'll start off with the point I made on Jazz. You know, very interesting to have someone debut for the Alliance on the final night of the Alliance.
0: Yeah, I realised when this match started, and obviously every other time that I've watched this pay-per-view, there wasn't really any women wrestlers in the Alliance, was there? You had had, uh, divas or, or managers, essentially, but you didn't have any wrestlers. And I was like, what female wrestlers were there in WCW? And I was like well Medusa was there in like 96 she's probably not doing it now and then I was like I can't name you anyone else
1: I think we talked about this on the Invasion show as well I think we were trying to struggle about this one because they've obviously did the tag match the Lita Tristratus Trish versus Stacy and Tori and Stacey and Tori at this point would not set the world on fire
0: no <laughs> So, uh, but nevertheless, it was cool to see Jazz. Um, her theme music is amazing. I thought, well, she's the only ECW or WCW woman in this match because Mighty Molly and Ivory, I think, are just WWF wrestlers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul puts her over massively. Obviously, he does. He calls her the single most ferocious female in history. Uh, I, I really like that. Um, JR says that the winner of this match will be ladies' champion. I'm pretty sure they retired the ladies championship in about 1973, but nevertheless, that's fine by me. I like that they had lots of like quick tags to get the match sort of warmed up. They had the quick run of finishers before the end. Like Lita's moonsault is amazing. all you fans of Team Extreme will probably agree. Molly's Molly go-round is absolutely amazing as amazing. well. Uh, both phenomenal phenomenal finishers. And then, of, of course, Trish hits the Stratisfaction on Ivory to win the belt. It's not a phenomenal performance from Trish, but this is obviously the start of her, of her whole run. And uh, it's just good to see the way it starts. And prior to this, she was just a valet. And, and it's good to see that... That that's uh, a female employee of W W F WWE, whatever, that actually transitioned successfully and, and it's just cool to see. And I will leave you with this JRN saying Trish Stratus comes in the back door. I'm sure you wouldn't mind that. Oh Jesus, man. <laughs>
1: uh, moving moving away from Trish, uh, Alan uh, the clear the clear favorite going into this match in the crowd's eyes is obviously Alita. I think it's helped. Uh, by the fact that this is in North Carolina which is obviously the home state of the Hardys and she's part of Team Extreme at this particular point but this is a point Leah looks great she wrestles far better than the majority of a lot of the ones in the match in terms of a pure wrestling type Aye,
4: uh, yeah I was quite gutted for her I thought she put up a pretty good performance in the match as you mentioned obviously the home state Team Extreme Um also, I feel, I feel like with the, the calibre of the wrestlers on the mat, she was probably in her prime. She was probably the best as well. So I really was surprised that she didn't win the thing. I remember being quite gutted as well because I wanted Lita like, to win. Um, because I was a huge Hardy Boys fan and I loved Team Extreme. I was quite surprised about that to be honest. Um, but it, it wasn't the best match, as you can tell. Going back to that time period. Women's wrestling just was not looked well upon. I mean, the match wasn't even five minutes. It just kind of shows what, you know, McMahon thought of women's wrestling at that point. Considering, you know, Lita and Trish would want to have such incredible careers. It's quite disappointing, especially when one of the big 4 per views. You'd expect something a bit better.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Billy, I want to talk to you about two of the more veteran wrestlers that were in the match. Uh, we had uh, Jacqueline and we had uh, Ivory. Uh, Ivory who is a staple of matches that she shouldn't have had to be in and in Attitude Era against the likes of the Fabulous Muller and May unregularly but proved that she was at a steady hand and Jacqueline who is probably the biggest badass to ever step in a wrestling ring she is, She's, I think she chops she chops Mighty Molly about a minute or so into this match and oh my god <laughs> I kind of winced a wee bit, it's crazy <laughs>
2: it was so weird that Ivory was apparently a part of the Alliance. Cause I think at that point they needed someone in the Alliance that was female, but, um, mm. it was, it was so odd this match because I don't think it was really mentioned on the run up that the women's title was gone. Cause mm. it, it was gone. Was it at that WrestleMania when China beat Ivory? And then that was it. The title never really came back. So, uh, Oh, no, actually, I didn't try to have commercialia. So anyway, uh, but yeah, so it, it was—it was just so weird that it was so. Oh, here's the women's title match. Here are six women. Oh, there's Jazz, and for me, I never knew who she was. I didn't know what the point. Of, I didn't know she, the big deal about Jazz. I so I was like, ah,
4: I think
1: the I think the crowd fought yeah, similar. Is. I think the crowd fought similar because she comes out to crickets. Paul Heyman's buzzing, but the crowd do not have a clue who she
2: is. But uh, by Jacqueline, yeah, she was just. An absolute beast. She was just barring folk. Like, it's nobody's business. Um, but I, th- I think Trish was. If I have everything. Of course, I would have went for Leah because, you know, I'm a big Hardy Boys fan, Team Extreme, and all that. But uh, Trish was a, a really, br- not brave, but uh, a good shot in the arm for the women's division. Like, this is this is someone you just had to put up a test for a month. She had to bark like a dog. Now she's getting her, her just rewards, and she's going to. Um, I mean, she wasn't the best in the ring, but. They put all their faith in her, and and it paid back. So, yeah, five minutes. It wasn't particularly exciting, but that was just WWF at the time. Um, but it was it was it was well put together. It, it was all right.
1: Yes, yeah, Scott. Obviously, as the guys have mentioned, the big takeaway of it is Trish's win. We've mentioned that on this show so far. We mentioned it when we talked about Trish and Lisa show uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, as Chris alluded to. Uh, Trish is very raw at this point in time but she still looks to have came on leaps and bounds since she joined and the career that she would have for the five or so years after it shows it was worth the risk at this time
3: Yeah definitely So yeah she's still developing but actually yes, you can tell she's getting there Like even compared to like me and Ross look to, uh, fully loaded 2000 and like Trish is used very sparingly there because she's still fairly new so she's still developed on even a year later in that regard, you know, she's only had a handful of matches in between. Uh but, yeah, the early like thing I noted down was the the WF women get good reactions. The Alliance women come out fucking silence. You could hear a guy up in Rosie farting, they were that quiet. Like Paul Heyman's like like going mental for jazz echoes were in the arena because he's the only one who clearly gives a shit when she comes out. Because people are like, who is she? Who is she? Uh, and yeah, this match wasn't the best. Uh, there are some notable botches here because it's just so quick. The first three part of it is like a Katrina as if it's a six-woman six, ma- six women tag, like the Alliance women are working together, the WF women are working together. It's only when Jacqueline actually clotheslines later when they go for poetry emotion. motion. I'm like, yes, Jacqueline is the only one that's, that's making sense in this match because it's every women for themselves. Because up to that point, they kept hyping up on commentaries, as they were women for herself, but they weren't showing it like it was. So, yeah, I think, Trish or Lita were probably the two favourites. I mean, you couldn't make an argument for Lita, given that it was her who got like tennis last wheel title defence offer. Uh, but I can see why they went for Trish, who clearly were very invested, even back in 2001.
4: Yeah, as you guys
1: have probably mentioned, this match was, but it was. It was really done for a springboard for Trish going out of the pay per view. It's Women's wrestling at this at this era wasn't brilliant, and obviously women's wrestling during the alliance point wasn't brilliant, as Chris just alluded to there's a very lack of depth in that particular division. Uh before we go on to what we all want to talk about in this show, and as the winner takes all five-on-five five match. I'm gonna briefly talk about uh some of the clips that we got before the match, There's three segments that led into it that we got during the show. Uh we saw the two teams you know get their in there first points of, you know, in the show earlier on when the Stone Cold Steve Austin arrived to be grilled by his fellow Alliance members about whether he was going to jump ship, as Vince McMahon had been alluding to before the show. Uh, we also got uh, Vince and Linda arriving in the arena, Linda still wooden as ever in a delivery. And Vince, interesting, as he does throughout the show, still playing very heelish, even though... He's the leader of the good guys team. Uh, Stephanie and Angle had a bit of an interaction after the Edge Test match with Stephanie worried about what was going to happen after the uh, the Alliance lost. Uh, Angle was reassuring her that Stone Cold would not turn. Uh, Some very good work from Angle. Him and Stephanie obviously had really good chemistry. Uh, Mick Foley, as I mentioned, was at WWF New York, saying that whoever won, he would be going to Raw the next night in Charlotte pretty much pointing the finger at Vince McMahon, again showing Vince to be the heel. A lot of foreshadowing of what was to come after this particular uh, pay-per-view. We also had Shane and Booker T talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Shane was assured that Austin was not going to turn, even though Booker was really concerned and did not trust Austin. Uh, And we also had, just before the main event, the pep talk from Vince McMahon to the members of his team. Uh, I say Pep because he pretty much said, you know, you could be losers tonight and you might not lose your job. You know, Vince doing a terrible job at motivating. But that does lead us into winner takes all. We've got the team WCW, which consisted of Shane McMahon, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, Booker T and arguably the MVP of this whole invasion angle, Rob Van Damme. They took on the WWF team, which consisted of The Rock, Chris Jericho, The Undertaker, Kane and The Big Show, who was a replacement for Vince McMahon, who was injured in the lead-up to the pay-per-view. Uh, lots of time to go into this one. Uh, we've got about 20 or so minutes left on the show. Uh, Billy, I will start with you in this particular one. Uh, you get the the video package which we talked about before the show. That r- r- Just coming into this match really gets you hyped and it's what they do well when they have these big, you know, matches in WWF. Over time, a, a video package does half the job.
2: It does, and and, and these these promos as well. You, you mentioned them. The the Kurt Angle one was absolutely sublime. He kept mm-hmm. going that he he that Austin wouldn't, ter- wouldn't turn on the alliance. That he Austin wouldn't screw them at all. And cool. you just now you know how it ends. You're like, ah, oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, the rally the troops one. Just before we get to the promo package, Kane. Beautiful, beautiful attire. Uh <laughs> with Kane. It's it's uh it's it's probably the highlight of that whole uh rally as troop But Uh but no, the the yeah, do package so great. Um when they when they wheel out uh, uh Fred Blasse and, and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff and the, the they do all that kind of stuff I was I was so excited for this and I looked at this how much time was left in the of the actual pay-per-view and I thought god there's like an hour left but I'm still I still want to watch all of this because it's it's got me ready for it um but no just one more mention for Kane's attire because it was beautiful
1: oh you don't need to talk about Kane's attire we have Scott here Scott could talk about it for the rest of this particular show uh Scott it wasn't just the video package did a great job of hyping this particular match we had the legendary closing segment for Smackdown, which happened a few days before, where literally every member of this match got their big moves in and ended with Stone Cold, giving the most cheeky grin to Vince McMahon that just thought something's going to go down here. And it's it, you just wanted to watch every bit of what was going on.
3: Yeah, I mean, I remember before I learned anything about what happened with the Invasion, the, the ins and outs of like not being able to get certain people in, I'd only ever seen two matches from the Invasion, which was The inaugural brawl and this so from my perspective that day, and still be very young i thought well this invasion seems like a brilliant storyline uh but that's the thing i still maintain with the invasion has a great beginning great ending let's not talk about the not so creamy middles and in between but you know kane with that thing i've I've never seen him wear that that bright or red singlet before or since then you know this is this is the era of kane and we had the guns out all the time or again as I referred to. <laughs> uh, and just that guilt trip promo from, from Vince, if they like, yeah, everybody will hate you and no one will ever forgive you if you lose. Like, fucking hell, no pressure. And then The Rock, just jumping up and down, during the whole thing. Either he thought, Vince is not going to be that long in his speech, or he really had to piss before the match because he just will not stop. He will not stop moving. Uh, and yeah, that video package, like this is, I, I would argue, an all-time great. Uh, Survivor Series five on five match and the promo is a big part of that. Although, as I'm sure Chris will get into much more detail than I ever could. Not not for not if you watch the network version because uh, best part of it is the set being set to control by puddle of mud, which is the theme song of the show. The network won't pay for that, will they?
1: Yeah, um, Alan, uh, you obviously missed out in the intros, but I kind of made reference to the fact that Vince in this opening in this pep talk bit references all these great legends and he obviously goes to the Rock and he mentions High Chief Peter Maivia which makes a lot of sense but why, oh why, when he mentions Andre the Giant does he turn to the Undertaker when he has the Big Show behind him? Surely that makes a lot more sense
4: Um, Yes and no I mean obviously I can understand why he should turn to Big Show because he's supposed to be the biggest one but Andre Giant was the long-serving ultimate big man Mm -hmm. and Undertaker's the guy that replaced him so it makes sense i'm going to Undertaker. and saying Andre the Giants to me from that um but also just another point i just want to add a promos 2001 was prime promos and then uh, the video packages for WWE i've never done it as well ever since i just want to add that in. it it's just superb um but yeah that's that's why i would say why you would go to take her over a big show it makes sense in that aspect to me mm-hmm.
3: Just uh, us about the big show for a second, because you mentioned big show. Uh, well, first thing you can tell just how much of a replacement he was, because you see him the least in this video package, and whenever he's hitting somebody, it's not somebody that's in this match. So that's how last minute he was. And I, I was thinking about this the other day, and like I'm, I'm <coughs> baffled that nobody's talked about it before. This whole storyline from like July, June, July thing to now was built on so and so turns on somebody to join the alliance, or some so jumps to the W, someone and so turns face heel. And in this 5-on-5, five five, you have a man whose career is built on heel and face turns, and yet <laughs> during this period of time, this is the most consistent he's ever been as a face. Not one point does the Big Show ever tease turning heel on this, in a sterling. and yet this would actually be the type where it would make more sense for the Big Show to turn heel of any time he's a former WCW champion. Hell, this would probably be if this actually have. This would be the one heel to you look back when like, you know, that was, a, that was a good idea that they turned the Big Show that period. It makes more sense than when we joined ECW randomly in 2006.
1: Let's be really honest. Big Show's only really about at this point to do the, to say, one, two, three in the replay at the end of the match. Uh, Chris, I know you will talk about that uh, the in the music in the opening promo, but I want to also mention a, a wee bit of that I really like and probably something you would probably like yourself. I really like how they keep panning throughout this match at the start and doing it to those respective locker rooms. I think that's quite a cool thing that they, they did at this particular point because it just shows like how each of the respective teams are feeling about every moment and you just, it just adds extra layers to what's going on in the tension.
0: Yes, yeah, it's, it's fantastic production. I, I loved how they're all watching on a 2001 TV <laughs> that's about the size of the laptop screen that I'm talking to you guys on now. Um, they're 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 probably half the time watching, going, "Did one of our guys just get eliminated?" I couldn't tell because um, the quality would be so bad as well. But yeah, um, the build up to this match was great. Vince talking to the WWF guys, he says there isn't one WWF fan anywhere in the world that would forgive you, not one. And I was like, "That's beautiful. What a way to motivate people." You've got five guys with not only their careers on the line, but the whole company is on the line. I just thought that was brilliant. He he says, you would be personally and pro- professionally disgraced. This, I thought, was Vince McMahon's best promo he's ever done in his entire life. Um, what does it say for those who passed on? You mentioned them at the top of the show, Stephen. Buddy Rogers, Jerry Graham, Gorilla Monsoon, Andre the Giant, High Chief, Peter Maivia. It's like a transcendent of time almost. They are defending everything that has came before them and everything that will come after them. It's a shame that in the WWF lineup that Chris Jericho is so dwarfed. Maybe they could have gotten like a (laughs) box to stand on for this or something. Um, Because I actually think he's one of the best wrestlers of the five that they have. And um, I love The Rock doing his pre-show bouncing all the way through the promo, I was starting to think, I was like, is this like a rib on the other guys to try and make someone laugh? But no, he just does it. And then I loved how when Vince stops speaking, he says, you will you will honor the the World Wrestling Federation. Now go out there and do it. And The Rock just runs. I just like, he's he is the clear leader of this group. And uh, yeah, do you know what? I thought the Alliance promo building up to this wasn't bad either. Uh, it was a little bit earlier on in the show. Uh, do you know what I like, right, Scott, you will appreciate this. See when nowadays in wrestling, especially in TNA, when they do big group promos, they always just turn out of loads of people talking over each other. And see the promo at the start where everyone's accusing Austin of leaving and Deborah's getting her bit in and Booker's getting her bit in and Shane's telling everyone to calm down. That was so well executed. They, like... You can't script an, an argument without it just sounding daft. And they did that so well, I thought. So just getting that bit over. Do you know what the whole, the, the the one single issue that I had heading into the match was? Did they need this mole chat? Like, couldn't they have just said, couldn't Vince have just made out? And I get that he obviously gives that promo about like, I would never be the man that would just go in 5v5. But his team is so strong. Like he's got the best five guys that are available on that night on his team. Like could he could we not have just gone in all guns blazing? Um, but nevertheless, it was a, a small hindrance on the the rest of the thing. I didn't actually know that uh, what you said about Vince. I uh, I thought it was always set up for a big show to be in it because because I quite like big show. It was, being in. I don't know if it was
1: just a storyline thing where they said he was injured just so he could get out of it. I'm yeah. not 100. Not fully aware, of. but you—they were. Talk- he was talked about going in. They mentioned it quite a lot in the match as well. How Shane even mentions about Shane putting his money with his mouth, Viz his- wouldn't do it. Yeah, uh, and but- it's kind of a look to the end as well.
0: See, before you dive into like the match proper, proper. I just want to get something it's- out there that I'm sure everyone will comment on, and that is the lineup for the alliance. Now it is the most obvious thing in the history of wrestling to say, uh, but it was only like two Alliance guys and the other three were WWF guys. Yeah, yeah I get it, right? But for the duration of the storyline, right, Austin was an Alliance guy. I would never take him out. And actually, see, while we've been talking, I've been trying to look through all of the pay-per-views since Invasion to see who was on these pay-per-views that could have possibly replaced someone in this team to keep, you know, Smarks happy. The, the only people I came across were Rhino and Chris Canyon, who actually had matches that were in this run on pay-per-view that aren't somewhere else on the card. And both of those got injured in the month before the uh, actual Survivor Series pay-per-view. There's nobody that I would take out of the Battle Royal except DDP. If I was picking the WCW lineup, I would maybe drop Shane into a manager role, still doing exactly what he did in the match, breaking up all the pins. But I would have DDP as one of the guys instead. But overall, do you know what? Like, Contrary to what the entire internet wrestling universe thinks, I don't think the lineup for WCW, or the Alliance, I should say, was actually that bad. I thought it worked with the storyline. They did the best with what they had. And uh, yeah, if you actually look back on Invasion, at Invasion, WWF had Jericho, Kane, Austin, Undertaker, and Angle. So they took out Angle and Austin and put in Rock and Big Show fine by that wcw ecw had booker the dudleys ddp and rhino so they've had a complete overhaul but i would have kept ddp the dudleys were probably in a more high profile match not high profile dudleys were better utilized on this night and rhino was injured so yeah in conclusion of my ted talk i think that the team wasn't as bad as it gets made out to be
1: so let's get on to the match now and Billy, I, will <laughs> go, I will go back to you for this kind of opening spell of it it's your, it's your typical opening Survivor Series trope type stuff but I love how Rock and Austin the minute Rock is in the writing bang he's right to Austin that's what you want you want your two top guys that have been feuding for about two years to go at it with each other and there's before right up until the point Big Show gets eliminated, there's a lot of good interactions in there. I love the stuff with Jericho and RVD. There's, there's some good stuff to start off with, and then they do pretty promptly get rid of the guy who we've all agreed didn't really have a place in the match, based on the build in the Big Show. Nor res- disrespect to him.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I love Shane in the opening going, uh, opening things, breaking all the rules with uh, with burning tags and just uh, just jumping in and and. Uh, breaking up any possibility that one of these guys were going. He was a right little bastard and it was just fantastic. Uh, and then of course he got the he got the, the the last shot on the big show to eliminate him and that that kinda it wasn't really I don't think it was mentioned, but it got to play into that that Shane McMahon Big Show feud of of what possibly the year before or something like that as well. So we got to get a little bit of a revisit of that. And of course Big Show he still looked he was put out early because there's no point of being there, but uh, he got put out because everyone used their finishing moves on him, uh, so he was made to look like a beast anyway. Um, not in, obviously not in the, the speaking of terms of the word, of the word. but uh, yeah. So he, he was he was made to look good on the way out, um, and then of course Shane got battered, and then that took out your one your most useless one and one your non wrestler really. So got rid of the, the excess, and then we got into the proper meats and potatoes of the the actual match itself.
1: Yes, it gets quite frantic. I think after Shane gets eliminated, we get um, the WWF go down, you know, four to two. I know it pains you to talk (laughs) about Kane's elimination. I think his elimination is actually really well done. Uh, Booker T's axe kick out of nowhere. He literally, it appears from absolutely nothing to do that. I thought it was very well done. I mean, I I wish, Van Damme would have hit the Frog Splash as well, as opposed to just the kick. Uh, and then it takes a stunner to eliminate, you know, The Undertaker, so then that's two threats being eliminated in the space of two minutes. Two massive threats in the world of destruction.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think, obviously, the choice of Jericho and Rock to be the other two to have to fight against the odds is particularly important because the whole the power package hits that These are the two that can get along and get to have The Undertaker like, given that pep to all, like, like just get your shit together because they obviously fought for the WCW title at no mercy. As well, so obviously, they've got a history going into this. Uh, I, I've often thought that Kane's elimination was the most likely, so just with the kick off the, the top. But it's still a big one for RVD, who always, obviously, I think, arguably, the RVD would benefit the most from the whole storyline on either side of And then, yeah, I had the Austin standard uh, Taker, but then pulled Angle, and it was basically to show the loyalty, like, he's not. They make you think he's not going to turn later on. Uh, I'm wondering about the big show uh, eliminations. I wonder if Vince was in this match, would Vince have been taking all the financials and get eliminated? Just so Shane could brag that he eliminated his dad. Uh but this is the best use of Shane, I think, we've ever seen because he's constantly breaking up pins, he's running away and only coming in when everyone else has done the hard work. And as soon as he's left on his own, he just gets killed and after seeing these pages, Paul Heyman screaming like begging for mercy for Shane McMahon, and also when you know when Shane does his wee dance after he's still being eliminated the big show, the guys are trying to warn him that Kane's behind him, and he starts still dancing but his legs move slower and slower and slower, and then he turns around. hurt uh, it's,
1: it's some great stuff.
3: Uh, unfortunately,
1: Alan, it's kind of followed up uh, maybe by the, the kind of weaker point in the match. I think the eliminations of Booker T and RVD, I feel like they kind of get eliminated quite lusterly, in the whole sense of the match. Uh, although it does pick up slightly a wee bit when uh, Angle gets eliminated, everybody loves a sharpshooter in Survivor Series. You know, it's just a thing now after 1997. But it's when um, Chris Jericho gets eliminated in kind of similar fashion to Booker T and RVD, that the match kicks up another gear. The tease this uh, Jericho turn for so long with his stuff with the rock and I think for him to snap in that moment with so much on the line for the company, I think is absolute genius. And it does so great at setting up, again, what's going to happen after Survivor Series.
4: Absolutely. I mean, the flow of this match is superb. I mean, I've discussed in the, the previous Survivor Series show in 1996, except for Chris and I did with Gary, that some of the matches felt very stale and long, far too long. This didn't. It had a perfect flow. You had a high... You'd have, fast action, you need know, a quick elimination and they slow it back down and they build it back up. The pace this is fantastic and when I mean, you are got 4v2, you need to slow the pace down to make it the, for the storytelling. The is incredible all the way through this match and, you know, they do so well putting Rock and over as going to be the next two guys going forward and it really submits, no, so sorry, the Rock as being the guy, which, you know, he always was, let's be honest, he's better than Austin, we all know that. And, um, but uh, it really set up everything, and as you said, obviously Jericho turning heel. Survivor Series maybe Survivor Series about a screw finish or something screwy happening in the main event. It's been happening 96 with the main event with Cycle Sid and Shawn Michaels, and obviously the Montreal screw job. Rock turning heel in '98. There's always something, and it had and when you're watching, you thought that was the moment until obviously the end where you found out the real truth. And I thought it was was done absolutely sublime. And I just remember being in school when this was happening and everyone was convinced WWF was going out of business. Absolutely adamant WWF was done for. They were going to get beat and everyone was convinced Jericho was going to turn. And he did. Yeah. I
1: mean, uh, historically, all the big five-on-five matches in history, Chris, uh, the, the ones I really am drawn to more are the ones that seem to have when it comes to the final two, there's a you get a stretch where they're allowed time to go at each other. A great example, not from this pay-per-view, is the 2014 Team Cena versus Team four uh, 40 Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler get a good amount of time to go at it at the end of that one. So to give Rock and Austin the time just to have something themselves, I think is great as well. Obviously, it's more leaning towards Austin after what happened with Jericho's turning, uh, Big boss man uh Undertaker at this moment as well is sublime just the way he comes out, like a like a da who's absolutely annoyed at their wane. Gotta get back out there. <laughs> and but then obviously the the finish with uh, you mentioned we didn't need the teases of the descent, and what the, the ending would probably work without that as well because cut angle comes out, he does the obviously cost uh, the alliance, the match. But I think having the teases helped because there was all the points during the show but especially the one with Angle and Stephanie where they're saying Angle's like you have to trust Austin's not going to do anything and he knows in the back of his head like, hey, he's not going to do it because I'm going to do it and I think that's what adds a wee bit extra to this double cross angle at the end
0: Yeah, don't get me wrong the end result and the end turn actually works out quite good uh, as you said, we get a good bit of Rock versus Austin I thought the match did drag a bit when it was 2v2, and uh, I thought we're, we're going back to, like, rest holds and stuff, and I was like, hmm, you better not be filling, because you did the earlier eliminations too soon. But I thought the, the run of eliminations that we got weren't too bad either. The big show taking everyone's finisher was quite cool. I couldn't decide if Shane's involvement was, like, kayfabe annoying or shoot annoying. Like, I guess it makes sense, as he's the one that's got loads of money on the line, but... I was just like, stop this. There's a point where he goes to grab Undertaker on the ropes, where Undertaker's about to take Austin's sort of running, like ropes neck thing. He's and, running, uh, running
1: ass. He's running he, ass.
0: Yeah, he's running ass. That's a good word for it. Um, Shane realizes he's in the way, backs out. Undertaker moves, and Austin lands on the ropes, and it was just a bit clunky. And I was like, are you, are you not planning these spots, Shane? Are you just doing this? but nevertheless, that was a thing. Um, I, <laughs> I, I I loved particularly when Jericho was in the ring with RVD. They had a really great back yeah. and forth. Jericho, you can see, is talking at RVD through all these really quick spots to the point where the camera actually catches him and JR's like, oh, I think Jericho was talking to himself there. I'm not sure that Jericho's version of the skull-crushing finale is good enough to it, be a finisher
1: it, it, it looks off it looks really off looks, stops doing it?
0: yeah it just looks a bit random and it's weird because it sort of came in around this time and then quickly stopped around this time i, I wonder if he was just because i don't know if you guys have seen the um austin jericho podcast on that he talks a lot about how he got to a point where just like y2j was just done and he just wanted rid of it. And he wanted to be a completely new guy. I think maybe that was maybe coming out. And that's why he was doing some different moves here. But nevertheless, that was really good. I liked as well, um, where is it, Rock and Booker getting back in the ring. Because they've just came off of their big rivalry. And uh, yeah, of course, Rock and Austin, brilliant working together. Brilliant run of, you know, finishers doing each other's finishers. Much like WrestleMania. Rock hitting the stunner, going for the pin. Um then, um rock uh, sorry then the the, the bet with Nick Patrick, dragon l Hebner was good as well, cause don't forget, like I can't blame Nick Patrick for doing that because his job is on the line as well, who's to say he'd be employed as head referee in Smackdown for the next five or ten years, whatever it was <laughs> um, and as well, I thought it was really good that, um, of course, we spoke about uh, Alan spoke about how him and his friends in school thought the the WWF were going to lose. Well, the WWF should have lost the the Austin pins rock, but the ref is out and there's a clear three count. So who's to say the Alliance shouldn't have won this. Uh, nevertheless, we got the angle running Austin with the belt shot rock wins. JR goes mental. The Alliance are in tears back to what you were saying about watching the guys in the room. Every time I, I watched the the those segments, I would watch a different wrestler to see how they reacted. And they actually all performed pretty well. Like I noticed like uh, Terry Runnels was right up the back crying. Did really well. And um finally, Stephen, I get my wish. Someone stands on a turnbuckle and holds a belt up so we can watch <laughs> and enjoy the scene. Sadly, it was only The Rock, but the Rock with a big gold belt, iconic shot. And uh, Vince comes out on the ramp to just spoil the celebration as well. And um, do you know what I like as well? For those of you who are listening or those of us here on the panel, talking about Survivor Series 1996, in that we get this brilliant shot of Austin staring straight at Brett after he knows he hasn't been beat by Brett. He's almost been outsmarted by Brett. And that's almost what Austin's doing here. He, He sits up on his arms and he stares at Vince and he's like, you you didn't beat me tonight, but you got Angle to outsmart me. And I was like, that's brilliant. Very, very brilliant. Austin is very, very good at being beat. Uh, except it didn't really happen ever.
4: <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, he's, he, he, he's, he's a good seller for a lot of stuff uh, on that time. Yeah, you guys have pretty much went through a lot of the points that I had in my notes. Uh, a couple of ones that I just want to mention that I've never really got mentioned Uh a nice cameo of the Brooklyn brawler and Harvey Winkleman in the WWF locker room. I was like, I could not, Harvey Winkleman was employed for much longer than he actually, I thought he actually was. He was there till about 2003, 2004 or something, which is mental. Um, what else have we got? Uh, pretty much more stuff, the Bossman undertaker thing. Yeah, I thought I was amazing. Uh, Nick Patrick, has just mentioned, that man was a seller. Oh my God, he sell that right hand from Austin like he'd been shot. I think we mentioned that in the Invasion show as well, that he was a fantastic seller. You know, you he know, played the role well. And obviously, Chris mentioned good to focus on a lot of the guys in the locker room at the end result. I was drawn to the guy at the back, Raven, who did not, who looked like he could not give a fuck. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, sorry. On oh, you go. Yeah, I, I always love that. Like, Stephanie's the focus of that. And rightfully so, because I like, think she's the most hateable out of everyone in the Alliance. And she's just like, no, she's in tears, because, like, she mentions earlier how much she's put into it all. Uh, and talking about, like, The Rock, <laughs> you talk about The Rock, uh, I think we can all agree The Rock does not have a good sharpshooter. But the way that Kurt Angle almost immediately taps out to it to leave Austin on his own, like, I think then further is an indication, like, no way we know now that he was basically trying to get himself out of there as soon as, and then he had to come back to help the rocket, and then later on, when Austin's got a sharpshooter on the rock, and Hebner's in the ring, Heyman says, why doesn't he just ring the bell, and JR goes, well, because he's not tapping. That's never stopped Hebner before. (laughs) (laughs) And they built up the whole Austin will turn, and he doesn't thing, so say It almost would have made sense if he did turn, because the next night, Vince and Angle are the heels, and Austin's the face again, and Austin's never taken the task over Know, betraying the WWF, he's still a WWF champion. I, just, I love the fact that Vince has to come out at the end to celebrate because they are in Carolina, an old Starcade territory, old NWA, WCW territory. So that's the place where Vince finally puts the nail on the WCW coffin and he has that look and say, I can't wait to make 20 years of documentaries that paints WCW as an absolute shithole.
1: Yeah, some great moments in that one. It's probably understandably why it's up there as one of the top five-on-five matches in Survivor Series in WWF history but that has been Survivor Series 2001 now as we do with all our look back pay per view ones, it's time to give our rating of between 1 and 5 stars, Gary Kiernan not here, so 0.25's and 0.75's are allowed So Gary's always uh, listening, he's always listening he'll find me I know he's find me, he knows what I love, he's my cousin <laughs> anyway,
2: uh, we're going to go round the guys and get their ratings, uh, Billy I'm going to start with you, what are you going to go with? you know, uh, just because of the strength of the main event and the cage match itself, and because it was amazing, I'm going for a solid four. Ooh,
1: interesting. A bold start there. A bold start indeed. Uh, Scott, what are you going to go
3: with? Uh, this always goes back and forth with me between the Rumble for like the second best pay-per-view of 2001, because as say, everybody knows WrestleMania X7 is the best pay-per-view of the year, but looking back at it, the, uh, there is a fair bit of filler with the Opening match, the women's match doesn't quite hit home, even though it's short. I think 3.75 because obviously a lot of that's strength on the cage match and the, the main event. I mean, the, the IC match gets good towards the end, but I have to obviously look at it at the end as a whole package, and a few of the other matches do let it down. So I think a 3.75 is the highest I can go.
1: Interesting. Uh, Alan, what about you?
4: Uh, if you take out the cage match and the main event, they're raw quality, raw SmackDown quality matches. They're not worth a pay per view. Uh, I would probably, I'd pro- probably go three and a half. I would, I would kind of spend three point two five. But the main event, because it's possibly the best main event in Survivor Series history, um, it's the reason why I gave it so that a bit extra. Mm. Uh, chris what about you
0: yeah this is the second time i've watched this show recently i actually watched it back in august and i don't think it stands up as well as i remember it from when i was younger like i i thought a couple of matches down the card were just pure filler i think we've spoken about that and it didn't and, it, and a lot of them didn't really factor into the overall storyline the belt issue with the hardys i know how stupid it is but it really bugged me this is a massive massive company and you've got people coming out with the wrong belts like whatever i think the main event's phenomenal really enjoyed it although it could have been about 10 minutes shorter i think as we've spoken about the, the full thing entrances to bell was about an hour but they easily could have taken 10 minutes off of it just just for the fans um but overall this is the culmination of a storyline which I love. I know a lot of wrestling fans hate it, but I loved all of The Invasion. I was trying to think of a way of describing it, and I was like, it's like two train tracks that have came from opposite ends of the country, and they briefly overlap for about five minutes and then go off in completely different directions again. The Invasion was such a little moment in time that we should savor. Um, and so the whole thing is like a really fun ending to that storyline. It just could have been executed slightly definitely. Uh, I actually gave it 7 out of 10, so adjusting that for your metrics, I'm going to go
1: 3.5. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I'm going to side with the latter two panellists there and I'm also going to go with a 3.5 for this particular show. Uh, I think the main event is stellar. Very, very good. Uh, it's up there. Rightfully, is one of the best Survivor Series matches of all time. The cage match and probably the other unification match are really solid Uh, but yeah, it's let down a bit by the kind of, the the Battle Royal and the women's match let it down massively which drags the rating down a bit Uh, and I would also say I'd probably rate them about 3.75 to 4 if they'd maybe given Rigo and Tajiri more time, I think that match would deserved a bit more time Uh, probably if they'd put there's a few guys in the locker room that could have chucked against Christian. It would have been better than Al Snow and I would have done a better job. But yeah, I think 3.5 is what I'm going to go with on that particular one. And it seems we're in a pretty solid range of between 4 and 3.5. So by no means a bad pay-per-view. By no means an amazing WrestleMania X7 style pay-per-view. But still a very enjoyable one to look back on in Survivor Series time. You know, this show came out a couple of days after WWE's version. This was a show that put loads of time into the build. Not so much can be said about 2021. 20, it may have been a great pay-per-view. Who knows? It was two days ago. I've not watched it yet. And we recorded it, record it before Survivor Series. So, yeah, this has been our look back on Survivor Series 2001. If you've enjoyed this particular show, loads of stuff or our back catalogue, you can just find it on any podcast platform. Just search for Eat, Sleep, Supplement Retweet. If you've not already subscribed to it, please hit the subscribe button. We're also on YouTube, so please hit the subscribe button on that too. Loads of content there as well. And also follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We've got loads of stuff on there. It's the best way to keep up with everything we've got coming up, everything we're doing, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so coming up, on the, coming up on the rest of 2021, uh, next week, we have got a look, a profile looking back on the U-Day, so on the stable, so that's a good show coming up soon. David Hockney, will be in the hosting chair for that. We've got our final pay-per-view look back in two weeks' time and we're looking back on ECW December to December, which is a completely different pay-per-view from the one we've just discussed today. Uh, we've also got a profile show on the late great Brody Lee, Luke Harper, so that's one to look forward to, and also a best Wrestle Kingdoms matches show and also our top 10 of 2021. Uh, I would like to thank my panel for this evening, uh, first of all to Billy, thank you. Oh, I've the uh, audio.
2: Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, to Scott, thank you.
3: Thank you very much. They offered me a, they offered out a space on that ECW show and I politely ignored it because it's a <laughs> shit show. <laughs>
1: Uh, to Alan thank you obviously you missed the first tap, but I hope you enjoyed dissecting the immunity battle royal <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry
4: about it. yeah it was I can't I, it's, it's just like a first, I mean, No, but excuse us, thank you very much not a problem and to Chris thank
0: you thanks for having us Stephen um, thanks for succumbing to my badgering to get you to do this show um, and now, now we've done it now we don't to ever go back to any of these Invasion shows ever again. Everything between Invasion and Survivor Series is not worth your time. Um, Yeah, done. Tick the box. Thank you.
1: Yes, and I hope you've all enjoyed this show. I've been Stephen Wilson, and we'll see you next time. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello, guys. Welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell, and in this show, you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplets retweet team go through a very strange quiz, We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're gonna have to watch to find out. Go
0: check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.